You know there is absolutely no way to quantify and no way to measure the joy that exists in the heart of a Christian on the Lord's Day. Because we have the opportunity to gather together as the saints of God. And we can worship the God of heaven. We have fellowship one with another as we lift our voices in songs of praise and we join our hearts in prayer. We gather around the table to commemorate the death of our suffering Savior. And we have the opportunity to study from God's holy word. That said, do you remember a man by the name of John the Baptist? Is that a name that rings a bell that you may have heard of once before? John the Baptist was a child of promise. He lived a solitary life out in the wide open spaces. And brooding over the problems of life and the meaning of life, John came to possess certain great convictions. John had first-hand knowledge of the eternal God. He had certain firm convictions concerning Jesus Christ. He knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. Well, it was under the spell of these great convictions that John began his ministry preaching out in the wilderness. And it wasn't long till the solitude and quiet of the wilderness echoed the sound of multitudes coming from the cities to hear this rugged, frontier, simple country preacher by the name of John. The soldiers came and the traders came, the plowmen and the vine dressers, they all came to hear John preach. There were scholarly aristocrats and there were men and women without learning the holy women came, and the women came that were outcasts. But to all of these people, this sturdy man of God preached the gospel of repentance. And many confessed their sins, and they received baptism at the hands of this preacher. Jesus even came from Galilee to the Jordan for John to baptize him. And after that great event in Jesus' life, those that witnessed the event heard a voice come from heaven. It was the voice of God Himself. And God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, all of that background brings us to the events that Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. That's our text for our lesson this morning. Then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil take him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and said, 
If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It's written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Matthew tells us that Jesus seems to know that he lives for a very rare and a very urgent mission. So Jesus goes into the barren hills where in solitude, Jesus can ponder the great things of his life. And then he goes back to Jerusalem. And Matthew then lets us see into the mind and into the soul of the Galilean. He's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And Scripture says he was hungry. You really think so? I imagine most of us would be hungry if we'd fasted one day and one night. I'm usually hungry if I fast for one meal. don't know about you, but that's kind of the way I am. He was hungry. So the temptation comes to him. The devil says, do a miracle for yourself. Get yourself some food. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. And then the tempter says, well, God will take care of you. Convince the people so they'll know for certain. Throw yourself down from a high place and let God take care of you. God will keep you from harm. Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, then the tempter says, you know how the people have prayed for deliverance. Fall down and worship me. And I'll put all the kingdoms around you under your control. And again, we hear Jesus say, It's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Our text this morning is the story of Jesus Christ struggling against the pull and the tug of temptation. The temptation to become something that God incarnate did not want to become. The temptation to do something other than the will of God. Let's be honest. Is this not something that all of us understand? The deep struggle, the battleground of temptation... The conflicting desire that goes on inside our souls? Are all of us not at some point tempted to do what we want to do instead of doing what we should do? Let me ask you something. When you hear the word temptation, what comes to your mind? 
When we mention temptation, what comes into your head? More often than not, we put an evil connotation to the word temptation. We think of temptation as appealing to the baser, more sordid, more sensual, unacceptable things of life. We perhaps even think of temptation as a surrender to immorality. We perhaps even think of it as a surrender to the selfish and the unacceptable. I remember over the years singing that very familiar hymn, Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus. He will carry you through. Remember those words? You've sung those words. Temptation is something that all of us can understand. Because all of us at some point in our lives have yielded to temptation in some form. And those times are memories. Memories we're not proud of. Times that we're not proud of because they're times that we were not at our best. But I know something. I know that Jesus understands that. Because the Hebrew writer tells us that our high priest is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus, our high priest, was tempted in all points just like I am and just like you are. Yet He was without sin. During His ministry, Jesus saw so many lives that were wrecked by baseness, littleness, fear, and selfishness. And Jesus sees the mess that we, me and you, can sometimes make of things. Jesus knows the tug of war that goes on inside of His children. But guess what? In case you don't know, Jesus still loves us. Because Jesus always saw people as God's people. Jesus saw people as God's children. He saw their mistakes and He saw their miseries. And the deepest sadness of our temptations is that so often they lead to some sort of destruction. The destruction of our joy, or our usefulness, or our honor, or our fidelity to those that we cherish. And the great tragedy is that so often we don't see the threat in the surrenders that we make. 
Because you see, we forget who we belong to. We forget the price that was paid for us. And forgetting, we are fair game for virtually any lust or littleness that tickles our fancy. If you remember your Greek mythology, there's a haunting story in Greek mythology of a famous warrior named Ulysses. And the army of Ulysses fought the battle of Troy. And in so doing, they were subjected to all manner of agony. And one of these had to do with the sirens. The sirens were, in mythology, a band of voluptuous women grouped on a tiny island near the sea lanes. And the ships had to pass these islands. And as they passed this island, the sirens sang enchanting music. And as the legend goes, many sailors lost their life leaving the ship and surrendering to the haunting summons of the song of the sirens. Ulysses knew the threat. Ulysses put wax in the ears of his sailors. And then Ulysses tied himself to the mast of the ship. And that way, as he heard the enchanting music, he could not free himself to go to his destruction. Folks, when we hear the enchanting siren's call of temptation, we have a mast we can anchor to. We have a mast that we can tie ourselves to, and our mast is Jesus Christ. And we can tie ourselves to Him and resist the enchanting music of the sirens. Jesus Christ can and will give us the strength to withstand the voices that lead us to dishonor and desperation. Because you see, Jesus calls us to the greatness that lies in goodness. Jesus tempts us to live the life that pleases God. And the life that pleases God is the life of trust and obedience. The Bible tells us very plainly, God will not tempt us with evil. But God does call us to live a higher and nobler life. Jesus tempted people to their highest and not to the baser things of life. And when you go through this book, and when you see the lives that Jesus touched, They literally almost jump off the pages and you can see the light in their eyes. Because the people Jesus came in contact with, Jesus held out to them a new beginning. Jesus held out to them a new life, a better life. Jesus 
changed people's lives. He made life different. He made life blessedly different. Jesus tantalized people with goodness. Think of the people that Jesus came in contact with. Think of that short little bow-legged Jewish tax collector, Zacchaeus. The crowd is great along the street and he can't get to see Jesus and see Him with His short little legs running down the street to get ahead of the crowd and He climbs up in that tree. It was a sycamore tree. And Jesus walks by and Jesus stops and He looks up at Him. And Jesus doesn't say, you there. He knows Him. He calls Him by name just like He knows me and He knows you. And He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And it scandalized the good people of the city as they saw Jesus and that chief publican, that sinner, walking arm in arm, going home to Zacchaeus' house. I can imagine the tongues wagging among the good people of Jericho when that happened. And Zacchaeus' life was never the same. After he talked to Jesus, he said, half of everything I've got I'm going to give to the poor. And if I've taken anything wrong from anybody, I'm going to restore it to him fourfold. Jesus changed his life. There was a woman at Jacob's well. She had been with so many husbands and lovers, she had lost count. And Jesus told her about living water. And she forgot her mission there, and she went into the city to tell people, I have met the Messiah. And she couldn't wait to tell people about Jesus because it changed her life. There was John, the son of thunder. He wanted to bring fire and brimstone down from heaven on a Samaritan village that had not paid proper honor to Jesus. And yet that son of thunder known as John became known to us as the disciple of love. Saul, the persecutor that we were introduced to holding the clothes of those that stoned Stephen to death. Saul, who was breathing out threatenings and slaughters. God knocked him down. He beat him up. He made him over. He named him Paul. And after he met Jesus Christ, Saul the persecutor became Paul the preacher. There was Mary Magdalene. Jesus swept away all of her inner ugliness and made her one of the most memorable servants of Christianity. Oh my, there were so many others. Think of all those guests at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee when they saw Jesus change water into wine, and not just any wine. It was better than the wine they had already served. Think of those in those multitudes. Think of those people when there was that little boy that had five barley loaves and two small fish, and Jesus fed a multitude of people, thousands of people with that. The blind that received their sight. The deaf that were made to hear. The lame that were made to walk. All of those people whose lives were never the same because Jesus Christ changed their lives. Temptation. That's where we all live, isn't it? And most of what calls to us can only lead to a bitter 
barren self-centeredness. But temptation isn't the only thing that calls to us. God calls us. When we're ready to be more than we are, God calls us. When we want that peace that passes all understanding, God is calling us. And when we're ready for the better life, the higher life, the nobler life, we tie ourselves to Jesus and we refuse to answer any invitation to the baser things of life. In our text, Jesus was tempted. And Jesus answered His temptations by anchoring His life in God the Father. Folks, if we want our life to be steady, and we want our life to be useful, and we want our life to be satisfying, then we're going to put our anchor in God also. There are those in this world of ours today that have never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of their lives. They have never in simple trusting faith and believing in Jesus Christ repented of sin and confessed the name of Christ and put the Lord on in baptism. And then there are so many that have done that but haven't lived God's kind of life. They've put Christ on, but have yielded to the baser and meaner and selfish things of life. Haven't lived God's kind of life God's way. I don't know what's going on in your life today. Only you can answer that. But I know this. That if Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life. He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. And if there are changes that you need to make, things you need to do differently for Jesus to be Lord of all of your life, this is your opportunity to make those requests known as together we stand and while we sing.